Old Testament reading comes from Exodus chapter 13, 1 through 3, and 13, 11 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among, among the Israelites of human beings and animals is mine. Moses said to the people, When the Lord has brought you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your ancestors, and has given it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn offspring of your livestock that are males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn donkey, you shall redeem it with a sheep. If you do not redeem it, you must break its neck. Every firstborn male among your children, you shall redeem. When in the future your child asks you, asks you what does this mean, you shall answer, by the strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and from the house of slavery. When, the, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from human firstborn to the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord every male that first opens the womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall serve as a sign on your hand and as an emblem on your forehead that by the strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The word of the Lord. A New Testament reading comes from Luke chapter 2, 22 through 35. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, apart from you uh, making yourself known to us and giving us your lights, we are blind and we are unable to see you. Our own sin blinds us. And so we ask, Holy Father, that you would open our eyes in this moment and open our, and open our hearts that we would see Christ, we would receive him with joy. We'd be content in him. And Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you after a 
couple weeks off. Uh, last week, we, we started into the season of the church calendar called Epiphany. Uh, it's a season that immediately follows Christmas and in which we seek to answer that question which is posed by the, the great Christmas hymn, What Child Is This? What Child Is This? Who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping. All right, leading up to Christmas, we anticipated the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God incarnate. And now that he is here, we, we watch him closely, suddenly grown up before our eyes and beginning his earthly ministry. And we ask ourselves, who is this man right, whom we celebrated as a baby? Together, we're, we're courting an epiphany as we stare at Jesus, a realization, right? A revelation, a light bulb that goes on. We're seeking to know him as he is. And in Luke's gospel, there are a number of epiphanies that happen. And we're gonna spend this season looking at some of them. Oftentimes there's an encounter with Jesus that elicits an explicit question asked aloud. Who is this man? How did he do that? Other times the epiphany is this, this quiet pondering in the heart. And this is the nature of the epiphany that we encounter this morning. The story we're considering this morning is often called the presentation of Jesus. It was supposed to be a quiet occasion, but it's remarkable for its two interruptions, one from Simeon, the other from Anna, whose interruption we did not read as part of our text this morning. Every Jewish woman had to offer a sacrifice after giving birth, and every firstborn Jewish baby had to be purchased back from God by means of a sacrifice. In the Exodus, when, when God put to death the, the firstborn children and animals of the Egyptians, but passed over the Jewish people, he, he had purchased the lives of the firstborn children that were spared and the lives of all the firstborn children born to future generations. They are his. And in recognition of this event, God demanded that every Jewish parent had to redeem their first child by offering a sacrifice to him, by buying them back, as it were. They were acknowledging the Exodus event and God's mercy in sparing them. An animal died instead of their child. And every Jewish mother and father did these things. They were divinely commanded, and therefore the event, while significant, was also routine. Mary and Joseph likely weren't even the only parents presenting their child for redemption at the temple that day. There may have been two, three other parents doing the same thing at the same time. Yet verse 33 tells us that the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Jesus received a unique reception at his presentation, and his parents experienced an epiphany about their son. Right? A light bulb went on. Simeon, a, a righteous and devout man, according to verse 25, took their son in his arms. He cradled him in the crook of his left arm while he raised his right hand in praise, and he said aloud, and I'm paraphrasing here, 
Lord, I can now die in peace because I have seen your salvation with my own two eyes. None of the other children being presented that day were greeted in this way, only Jesus. But there was also nothing about this ordinary looking child that should have tipped Simeon off that this baby in particular was something special. It was a surprise for Mary and Joseph that their son should be spoken of in this way. This special reception of Jesus is the occasion for an epiphany, for three epiphanies for us. And we're gonna go through those. The first epiphany is that the Holy Spirit is actively making Jesus known to those who are looking for him. Right? Simeon takes up Jesus into his arms and in verse 32 calls him a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for the people of Israel. What he is saying is that the people who possessed God's promises, Israel, had been searching history for the fulfillment of these promises and Jesus is their fulfillment. Notice that in verse 30, Simeon says that he can die in peace because he has seen God's salvation. He's saying that Jesus is God's salvation. Salvation is not something apart from him or something that he offers even. He is salvation. He offers himself to us. He does not, we, we do not pursue him to get at something else. There is nothing greater. We seek him alone, for in him is the fulfillment of all God's promises made to his people throughout all of time. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in him, every one of God's promises is yes. Right? And when we realize that it's him we're looking for, then he becomes our glory. He becomes our song. He becomes our aim in all things. We read our Bible not to acquire more knowledge, but to encounter the living Christ. It's his praise we sing. And we become willing to sacrifice all things in order to possess him alone. But this realization, this recognition of Jesus as God's salvation is a divine revelation, a work of the Holy Spirit, for it's difficult to be satisfied with Jesus alone. Simeon embodies this epiphany in the story. Verse 25 says that Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. Deep in his soul, he was searching, grasping like you and like me for personal and, and national contentment, for rest, for reconciliation, for healing. And it was told to Simeon that he wouldn't die before he found it. But how many babies came and went before Jesus? We don't know. We don't have any biographical information about Simeon. We don't know if he was old or young or how long he'd been waiting. People assume he was an old man simply because he says that he can die in peace now when he sees Jesus. But such a statement is no real indicator of age. It's a measure of contentment. It merely tells us that seeing Jesus was enough for him. It was the fulfillment of all his hopes. He had one thing on his bucket list and he checked it off that day. 
Whether he was in his 20s or in his 60s, we don't know. But he felt he could die in peace. For he had seen God's salvation, and it was enough. But it was the Holy Spirit who led him to that conclusion and arranged this encounter with Jesus. Verse 27 says that Simeon was guided by the Spirit to the temple that day, the day in which he would behold God's salvation and find all his hopes fulfilled. Whatever else happened in his life, whether good or bad, he could die in peace, for he held God's salvation in his arms. And the Holy Spirit is directing you, you who are looking for him, to that same realization, the revelation that if you have Jesus, then you have everything. Your bucket list is checked off. It means you can suffer the loss of all things in this world. Because with Jesus, you get them back in spades. One of my favorite hymns is Be Still My Soul. And one of my favorite lines in that hymn goes like this, Be still my soul. Your Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. If you possess Jesus, and you possess God's salvation, and you possess all things, he will restore to you all your sorrows and all your losses in this life. But do you hope in him alone while you are alive? Or are you still looking for fulfillment and for satisfaction elsewhere? Can you die in peace? Or do you feel you still need something to be content with this life? The Spirit guides us to recognize the necessity of Jesus alone. And he gives us the strength to wait in Christ in this incomplete and frustrating and painful life. The Book of Common Prayer has a, a service of prayer that's intended to be read at the, at the end of the day, right before, right before you close your eyes to go to sleep. It's called Compline. And Simeon's prayer is included in it. Lord, you are dismissing your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What you are saying as you close your eyes is that it's okay if you don't open them again because you've seen Jesus and therefore you have everything you need. You can die in peace in the night. There's a, a resignation and a, a confession that only the Spirit can lead you to. And that is exactly what he's doing. He is leading people searching for Jesus to him. But there's a second epiphany that we get from Simeon's song in verse 32, which is that the Holy Spirit is making Jesus known not just to those who are looking for him, but even to those who are not. Right? In verse 32, Simeon says that the Holy Spirit is make, making Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to a people who did not know the promises of God and who were generally living in darkness. Even to these people, the Spirit is making Jesus known, like a light that shines in their darkness and shows them the way of life. Why is this an epiphany? Epiphany is a new thought, right? A revelation. The recognition that the Holy Spirit is working to make Jesus known to a people who aren't searching for him 
is an epiphany because it alters the way we think about evangelization. We cannot know what a person needs in order to see Jesus in all his beauty and in all his glory and be drawn to him. But the Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit is working to bring us into contact with people when they need what we have to offer. We don't work alone in this work, but we're being positioned by the Spirit according to his divine wisdom and plan to draw the nations to himself. He makes us light when he decides to turn the lights on in the darkness of a heart. You know, people fall in love with Jesus sometimes for the strangest reasons. The Anglican pastor Matt Camless tells the story of how a man in his parish came to, to trust Jesus by looking at one of those maps that used to be printed in the back pages of a Bible. It was a map that the Holy Spirit knew this man needed to see. And Matt Canlis was simply there with the Bible to give it to him. And to tell him, yeah, it was a small place that Jesus worked. That was enough for him. He believed. He became a Christian. And my dad, when he was a pastor, took a, a second job working at a store called Agway. It's similar to Atwood's, right? And at Agway, there was this young man named Dave Groton who worked there. And he dreaded working with my dad. Because it was known that my dad was a pastor. And Dave had a particular preconception of pastors, right? He anticipated my dad talking his ear off, right? Convince, trying to convince and to convert him to Christianity every second of every day. But my, my dad didn't do that. He just, he just went to work and he worked hard. And he was generous and he was kind. And Dave was miserable in life. He was in debt up to his eyeballs. He was scared stiff. And Dave was so thrown off by my dad and by the silence that he didn't anticipate that he began to ask my dad questions. He began to ask him what he believed. He began to ask him about Jesus. And, and there he was, right, positioned by the Holy Spirit who had used my dad's silence to disarm Dave and to spark his curiosity. And Dave and his wife, Danielle, are now missionaries in Chile, serving the blind there. They're teaching them to read with Braille, right? It's a beautiful ministry. Oftentimes when we, we think about evangelization, we feel this, this pressure to, to form a decision, to craft an argument. We feel it's up to us alone to convince doubting minds of the gospel. And so we develop this kind of set pitch that's made with certain necessary words or questions included, right? Something that can even be condensed and summarized onto a piece of paper that can fit in your pocket. We even switch into a certain mode in order to make that pitch, right? But the spirit works with flesh and blood and with particular personalities, so that the entrance into the life of faith is often either through the most natural or unnatural of ways, through parents raising their children in the church, teaching them the truths of the gospel at home, or through a map, or through silence. The Spirit is at work making Jesus known to those who are not looking for him, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And sometimes he sets you in the right place at the right time. And the work of evangelization is therefore the work of loving your neighbor, the person sitting across from you, and living in all of life as a sincere Christian whose motivation in every little thing you do is genuinely Jesus and being willing to say that out loud, right? The Spirit is making Jesus known to those who are looking for him and to those who are not. And evangelization is the task of looking for the Spirit at work in those who are not. But there's one last epiphany that occurs in this story, though. The third epiphany is that Jesus depends upon the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph in order to fulfill his mission in the incarnation. The Son of God was born as a human being in order to redeem humanity. And that meant reliving our story and redeeming it by living it perfectly. In every place we faltered, he was faithful. According to God's law, he was faultless, but for a time, his faithfulness depended upon the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph. God required that every male be circumcised on the eighth day, and he required that every firstborn child be redeemed with a sacrifice. For both of these occasions, Jesus was an infant, unable to ensure that he received what God required according to the law. And yet, the redemption of humanity depended upon his perfection, upon his fulfillment of the law in every possible way. The faithfulness of Mary and Joseph were of the greatest importance. And it's remarkable, even scandalous, that God should assign these human beings such a vital part in the story of redemption. This is precisely what God did. He looked to the faithfulness of his people to accomplish his purposes on earth. Jesus entrusted himself to Mary and to Joseph to fulfill their holy obligations, and so they played a significant role in the story of salvation, in the story of your salvation. It's terrifying, the risk. It's terrifying, the trust. It's terrifying because he continues to do it with us. The Bible talks about the church as the body of Christ. And this image has implications for our unity, but it also has implications for our role in the world. Jesus is no longer with us, right, in a way that we can see or, or touch him. Right? We cannot scoop him up like Simeon. We cannot hug him like Mary or stick our finger in his side like Thomas. Instead, the world now experiences Christ through the church. We have a vital role in the story of salvation to play. We're called to fulfill our holy obligations to love and to holiness in a world that requires redemption. It is scandalous that God gives us his work to do. Yet this is how he works. In the strength of his spirit, 
He works through us. He compels us to be obedient, to faithfulness. And we are called to step into the role of one who carries Christ, just like Mary and Joseph did, carries him into the world and presents him to those who are seeking him and to those who are not. God goes with us. He goes before us and he goes behind us, protecting us. We're not equal to this task and yet we have no choice. The knowledge of him demands our participation in his purposes. He has given himself to us like a hot potato. We embrace him in our arms and we are to present him to the world. Or will we keep him to ourselves? He's calling us to fulfill our obligations to the world and to our God. It's terrifying, it's scandalous, and it's oh so beautiful and good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.